With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We enter into this Monday morning full of joy and and life and, and love. And Kevin Clark is joining us. And you know what? I needed somebody. And he hit me up a few weeks ago and he said, listen, I'm in a pinch. I need you. Slow news day. Can you make it happen? I said, you bet your ass I can make it happen. And what did he do today? He repaid the favor. One of the best NFL writers in the business over at the ringer, Kevin Clark. How are you, sir? I feel very comforted by the fact that I could get ready for a video podcast in nine minutes. I feel like I've accomplished something this morning. What was the part that took the longest for you were like, man, I really need to, to, to hurry this up? That's a great question. I would say, so I actually had a different jacket picked out. My wife said, that's not a summer jacket. And so she threw, she looked for another jacket. And, and I think she, she was right on that. The initial jacket was not a summer jacket. And I, 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 I panicked. I panicked in, in the nine minutes. And I tried to get a winter jacket. And it just wasn't going to work. So that, I would just, say that. I would, also, I would also say the hair. The hair was not where always. it needed to be when I woke up. And so you had to do a little bit of, not a lot, a little bit of touch up. You just made me realize that I'm angry about something. That my favorite time in terms of clothing is spring and fall because of the light jackets that can be worn. And now I I can't what I'm gonna do where I'm around the apartment? I just realized that, Kevin. Damn it. Yeah, it's a tough time. I don't know the next time I'm gonna wear nice pants. Ooh. Thanksgiving? I don't I'm not gonna ask. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that sweatpants is already acceptable during that time. Um, all right, let me let me get into this though. Uh, Kevin is literally coming in. He, he apparently just woke up, which means that he is still in a dream state, which means things are <laughs> lucid and they are flowing, um, which feels like life all the time right now. Kevin, I, I was having this conversation with my friend that was in the restaurant business uh, this weekend, and mm-hmm. I was saying what's interesting is all of these establishments are gone. So you have all of these incredible food minds that are now entering the world. And a lot of people are saying, oh, no, look at what we lost. And the question I'm now answering myself, yeah, but what is going to grow out of this? Uh, Mm -hmm. We see this with athletes all the time. But I'm curious, and I know you just woke up, but with all of this stuff happening right now, how could it change something like the NFL and the game of football that we don't even realize yet what could be happening? Have you started thinking about that at all? Yeah, I thought about it a lot because I think that the work from home element is really interesting. And, you know, I think that there's a there was a storyline a couple of weeks ago. Oh, we understand work life balance. If you're Bob Quinn or whatever, um, he said it. John Lynch said he might send his scouts home more um, in, in, in future draft cycles. But I think that stuff's not going to change. I think what's going to happen is generally teams are going to get more up to speed on technology. I mean, there's some NFL facilities where they're still in 1975. You know this. Mm -hmm. And I think that because we're young, we talk to certain GMs who are are hip and understand the internet and understand what we do and understand what podcasts are. But that's not the rank and file of NFL teams. 
And the rank and file of NFL teams, they're distrustful of iPad playbooks. And they're distrustful of, you know, watching a, watching a guy's cut up instead of going to see him on a Thursday night in Louisville or whatever. And right. so I think this has a real capability to modernize the game in a way that we're not necessarily ready for, uh, or the, the league, a lot of the league was not necessarily ready for. And so I think that this, you know, I, I, this is a totally, when there are huge sea changes like this in humanity, like everything changes, right? Every, the way we do business, the way industry works, the way we travel, the way we consume. And I think the football is going to have a ton of unintended consequences. I think that just the Zoom offseason is, is going to inform a lot of things. I mean, I saw a thing a couple weeks ago, Dan Quinn was practicing. As soon as he figured out what was going to happen, Dan Quinn starts to practice with his coaches. How are we going to teach on Zoom? And other coaches are, are not going to worry about that. And, and one of the things that I think happens when there's any changes in football is the smart teams win and the dumb teams lose in a much quicker way, right? Like any, any time you can take advantage of something, yes. the smart teams will do it, the dumb teams will not. And I think that on the field this year, we're going to see the teams that figured out how to navigate this offseason um, in a better way than the teams that did. The Saints signed Jameis Winston. The Eagles drafted Jalen Hurts. The Cowboys just signed Andy Dalton. And after every single signing or drafting, I see someone say, you know, there are people in the league that are worried about COVID-19 and the importance of backups. Is that a real thing that you think is driving some of these actions? Mm, I don't. I, I've heard those reports too. And I've, I've heard a lot of different theories about COVID and, and how it's going to impact everything. I don't think necessarily that's going to happen because I, I think if they play a season and there's still a COVID problem in America, I think they will have the sort of NBA style idea or the UFC fight Island sort of idea in a lesser mm. sense, in the sense that there'll be a campus and there'll be a bubble and they'll be in Orlando or Vegas or wherever, or like a baseball style thing where they just do it by region. And they have, you know, some people in Texas, some people in Florida, right. whatever, but that's a long way of saying, I think it's Carson Wentz, or Dak Prescott, or any of these guys who are starters who now have high-quality backups, they're not, they're not going to be in the general population in October, and then he could, they come back, and then it's like, oh, on his off day, he accidentally got coronavirus. Like, I, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily see that happening, just because if, that's, if we're still there as a, as, as a country, and, and I hope to God that we're not, um, where that's a possibility right. that you can catch coronavirus on an off day, I think there will be very drastic measures in place. You said earlier the smart teams. Who do you think are the dumbest teams in the NFL? I think there's some teams I, coming off the draft. I would say there's some teams that just don't understand value, mm. right? And I don't necessarily know if it's dumb teams. Everybody, you know, it's you're talking about Chicago. I, I think teams like Chicago or the Giants, where you're just like, you know what? I I, I really wish that you had just a guy there to explain how, how value works and when you should take guys and how things work. And, and, and hmm. these guys, Ryan Pace and Dave Gettleman have hit on draft picks in the past. They've hit on evaluations. I mean, listen, Ryan Pace, it's the same guy who slung the Kula Mac trade, which, you know, you, you get a high-end talent, uh, but he tends to trade away picks. He tends to, to draft, to have 10 tight ends on his roster ten. for some reason, 10 yeah. tight ends. Um, I, I sometimes I just it's not about being a good evaluator or a good um, having a good eye for talent or whatever it is. It's about knowing how to build a team if you're a GM. And I don't necessarily think those teams can do that right now. Um, so I like every draft, by the way, 
You grew up a fan of which team? No team. I so the the I grew up in Florida. And okay. when you're in, when you're in Orlando, so I'll explain this. So when you're in Orlando, Orlando pulls to whichever team in Florida is doing the best. Okay. Okay. So they become we will become a suburb if the if the Dolphins in two years with Tua just don't come on fire, we're all gonna pretend to be a suburb of Miami, even though we're three hours yeah. north. We're like we've always been Dolphins fans. And so the Bucks were huge when I was a kid, but it was a little late. Like the Bucks were awful when mm. I was really young. Like when the Magic were good, the Bucks were awful, right? And so the Bucks got good with Tony Dungeon in '97. I I have sort of already, even though I was really young, I was sort of already into it. I'm like, I gotta pick the Bucks in midstream here. The Jaguars yeah. became more popular. Actually, ironically, played Portals because he's an Orlando guy, and then they got good in 2017. So my mom briefly jumped on the bandwagon, but Florida. Orlando is a weird play. I, I would say the, the most popular team in Orlando, aside from whichever team is good in Florida, is probably like the Cowboys and Patriots. I mean, it's like a very, mm. it's a hodgepodge of people, tons of transplants. Um, there was a brief moment where like, you know, there were Bucks billboards on I-4 in 2002. Wait, so growing right. up in Orlando, you know how like people in Philadelphia think a certain thing about Pittsburgh and people in yeah. LA about San Francisco. What is Orlando's view of Tampa, Miami, and Jacksonville? Like how do Orlando... I don't Orlandoans Ooh. think of that. Yeah. So Jacksonville, we'll start there. So Jacksonville is known as South Georgia in any part of Florida, in any part of Florida. And people say if once you're north of Gainesville or even counting Gainesville, you become the South. And that Florida is not the South. That's always been a debate. Is Florida mm. the South? And it depends on where you are and who you ask. Because I don't think anybody thinks that Broward or Dade County has, has much to do with Georgia and South Carolina. Right. Just Jacksonville. It's a little more, it's a little closer to that, you know? And, um, and so I guess I'm think more interested in like the Tampa versus Miami. Yeah. Because okay. when I think of Brady going down there, I have, I know that they're different, but everyone kind of, I think I, I keep seeing pictures of Brady in like sunglasses. I was like, I, I don't know if it's the same thing. Tampa is significantly less cool. So like if you, if your buddy from Orlando moves to Miami, you're like, oh, that's cool, man. Like, that's a huge step <laughs> up. If you move to Tampa, it's probably a step down. In, in the eyes of people in Orlando. In the eyes of people in Orlando. Or it's similar. Tampa's not seen as cool. Tampa's like, maybe it was cool a little bit ago. You know, you got your, your Hulk Hogan's, you know, that, that, that kind of cool totally. is over there. Different celebrity crew. We have, we've got a lot of golfers. We've got a lot of NBA guys. We've got, uh, you know, Isleworth out there. I mean, we're Tiger Woods lived for years. Like, I, I was going to say, I feel like it's cachet. Tiger's town. Well, Tiger, left, he's in Jupiter now because he needed more room for his mm. boat. But I feel like, we, you know, Shaq still lives there full time. He never, he never moved from his so, house. Like, I was going to say, I know you're a big magic guy. And yeah. I, like everybody, every Sunday night appointment viewing, watching The Last Dance. And, but for me as a Sixers fan... There was no crossover between my team trying to be good and yeah. Michael Jordan. Early 90s, we had Clarence Weatherspoon as our best player. And what kind of ushered into us being real was, you know, rookie year, Allen Iverson, yeah. 96, crossing him over. And it was like, oh, wow, we have a team now. So what is it like for you to be one of the teams that was trying? Like, what is this viewing yeah. experience like for you? Because it's totally different than me. 
Right. I, 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 that's a great point because when I look at it, I'm looking at it through a way different lens because I hated Michael Jordan. I hated that right. whole team because they were our rivals. I believe my Twitter banner is Orlando Arena exploding as MJ and Pippen get upset. Like that's, mm. that's where I was at. That was one of my fondest memories when I was eight years old. And so I'm appreciating this from a different lens. When they get to the final, the Eastern Conference finals that, or the, uh, the playoffs in 95 where we beat them, um, and then obviously we lost uh, next year to them. Um, but we beat them. We beat the Pacers. We beat those teams in, in 95. We got there. We got... But I think generally it's going to be a painful process because my wife realized, she pointed this out to me because I didn't even realize it. So Scott Skiles was getting dunked on or something by Scotty Pippen last week for the 1989 Magic. And under my breath, I just said, Magic. And my wife was like, this is what you do during a normal game. You're living out normal Magic games through the lens yeah. of the 1989 Magic getting dunked on by Scotty Pippen. Like, this is not, this can't be healthy. So it's almost you- like the competitive edge will come out when I see that series uh, in, from, from 95. The thing that I always like about your writing and, and kind of the topics that you pick is really what excites yeah. me is you, you try to look at it from a different lens. And so what I keep finding myself is I'm not just watching the last dance. I'm watching all of us watch the last dance. Yeah. And uh, it's, so, it's so interesting that before this and before quarantine, in terms of like, I, I'm talking to people right now that are saying, hey, listen, you really needed to use captions on your videos a few months ago because we were in an audio, no audio environment. And now you don't need captions as much because people are watching at home. And what's interesting is before it would be you go to work and you would work at a place like The Ringer and I work at a place like Bleach Report where like, it's a very intense conversation about what you just watched. And it's, you know, it's all these, right, and you're all talking. Now I'm just seeing like pre-written tweets because I feel like people already saw the episodes that they're releasing or everyone. I don't know. I'm enjoying it, but I'm also not wanting to share it with people. I'm curious if what's been your emotional response to it just as a human. Let me ask you a question. What would have happened just as a country yeah. if this had been released in June as normally scheduled and there was no coronavirus? This would not have been the community viewing experience that it is now. I mean, it, it is, is really this amazing. June with the Lakers and LeBron in the finals. You it know what I mean? Cause that's argument. Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and now let me, and then, and then it would I have been Jordan's changing. trying to steal the, the, right. the juice right. from. Uh, I also think you asked me earlier how sports can change because of coronavirus, whatever, all that stuff. I think this documentary changes the way certain super duper stars, LeBron, maybe Tom Brady, that genre of athlete, how they're going to approach access maybe in their last year or how they, the rivalries they have. I mean, if you're LeBron right now, mm. aren't you trying to figure out who you hate so that in 20 years you're just, you can roast them? Like what are you going to Lance Stevenson? How many of the LeBrons, the Tom Brady's watched Jordan get absolutely destroyed in terms of his own sense of self by having to be in the public. And we're watching along as he couldn't go from his hotel room to the court and going, this is what I can't handle. And seeing Jordan look at it and go, I don't really think I'm going to miss it. Right. How many of the upper echelon athletes are right now going, I'm going through the same thing in Jordan. Maybe I should, because right now it's been the age of longevity. 
Right. LeBron's going to go forever. Brady's going to go forever. Jordan cut it short other than the wizard stuff. But I'm, I'm curious how many of these upper level guys right now are going, I'm going to follow that lead. I don't know. I mean, it comes down to, you know, Jordan in that conversation cited Patrick Ewing saying, you'd have to drag me off the court. I think it comes down to the competitive drive. I think some of these guys, they can't stop playing, man. I mean, remember that scene where Larry Bird says to to Jordan when Magic was in the locker room, hey, man, wouldn't you want to get some of him right now? Like, I think that's Larry Bird Mm. being like, I want to play today. I don't want to be the coach. I don't want to be the overweight coach. I want to be playing today. And I think some Mm. of those guys had that edge. I remember um, Scott Brooks saying this one time. He said, coaching is the second best job in the world. The first, first, the best job in the world is playing, and the third best job in the world is being a sports writer. Okay. Mm. But I think 98% of athletes want to play until the wheels fall off. And I just think Jordan was a unique situation at a unique time where guys were so unbelievably famous, they couldn't go outside. Um, I've, have you ever seen LeBron in a public setting, like just walking around? No. I, I saw him in a hotel lobby around All-Star weekend in maybe 2012, let's call Not it. Not as an adult. Okay. Like, and, yeah. And I saw LeBron in a hotel lobby, and it was crazy, but it wasn't like Jordan. It wasn't like hanging from the rafters, Jordan crazy. I think we, so, we have, as, I think we're better at, I don't think celebrities necessarily get more space, but I just think that, like, people aren't just going to, like, tackle there was a story about Sean Connery when he was playing Bond in Japan where he would go to the bathroom and people would just be like outside his window, right? Like, I don't think we'd do that anymore. I, well, to that, I think one, what we are asking from celebrities has changed. I think back in the day it was sign this. And so you had to get close. Now I feel like it's, oh, LeBron, you're going to be there. I'm going to turn around and get my selfie. So I feel like that like creates distance. But to what you're saying also, I saw Barkley talking about it afterwards with Van Pell. And he said, there are only two people that when they walk in, people lose their minds. And it was Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods. And it was interesting because he said, if you look at all the great sports, and this is Barkley, so you know it was honest and unfiltered. He goes, Tiger, Jordan, Tom Brady, you know what? No, he's not at their level. And I'm curious, do you think if Tom Brady saw Barkley saying that he's not at Jordan and um, uh, Tiger Woods' Tiger. level, yeah. that that could be a Jordan thing that he puts – like, do you think Tom Brady would ever use something like that? I think that that would I, – I think he definitely thinks he's at that level. I definitely think he's at that level. I would also – I think he's at that level too. From the – I've never seen this, but I've only seen him in, like, I like sporting events. Oh, actually, no, I have seen this. You know who I think is on the cusp of that in a different way? Mike Tyson. I think Mike Tyson cannot walk anywhere without people just going crazy. I mean, look, Barkley's like that too. But but there is a difference, I think, between I want to go up and interact with them and holy shit, they're here. And I think... The the interesting thing about Tyson, the reason I wouldn't put him there is because a lot of the guys that are approachable, we've seen the softer side. And I think hangover and all that and doing his own podcast, he's more human. Jordan is not human to me. No. I've seen Tiger Woods walk. I know you see. And it's he doesn't even look human. No. Like the way he moves is like I see no behind the scenes of it. He's got a walk of someone who's been famous for a very long time and cannot slow down or else people are going to take advantage of him. Like, I remember, I, I've seen him a couple of times at the neighborhood he lived in, Isleworth, 
you'd see him playing. He, he would do some events or whatever, like small events. And I would see him there. And he just, it just walks at maybe the fastest walker I've ever seen. And you learn to walk like that again, because as soon as you slow down, that's a hundred photo requests. That's a hundred autograph requests, even in like yes. a small intimate setting you are. And I would say LeBron has that walk too. LeBron is a very good walker in public because he understands what happens if you do not walk like that. What do you think Bill Belichick thinks of the last dance? Wow. And first of all, it's a lot of access. Belichick oh, too many. Filming. Yeah, but Belichick is actually very famous for allowing yeah. himself to be recorded because he knows the power of NFL films. But that much access, that's a lot. He knows also the, the power of, of filming other teams, too. Um, but, you know, I think that what does Bill Belichick think? He, he probably enjoys the competitive nature of it all and seeing Jordan, you know, flipping the quarters or whatever. Um, I agree that he is so into history. You know, I, I, I remember when Steve Sable died, the NFL films um, guru, and he was, you know, calling reporters basically to say this guy was amazing and changed football. He respects the game. And it's funny because I've been, I've, I've not benefited from this, quite frankly, but, you know, the, the people he gives time to, reporters, whatever, they're the, they're the old time, not the old timers, but the veterans yeah. and the guys who've been around yeah. and were writing about things 30 like years Reese, ago. He, those guys. Yeah. He yeah. has such a respect or the national guy, you know, Dan Pompey, you know, yeah. you know Belichick, Belichick. Uh, I've seen Belichick give him time. Um, and Dan Pompey is a legend in this industry. I love him. And I think that to that point, I'm going to interrupt you. What would it mean to you if the Patriots PR staff hit you up and said, you know what, Belichick would like to talk to you. So it, I've had one interaction with Bill Belichick and he had no idea what I was talking about. Like one, one, one-on-one interaction with Bill Belichick. He had no idea what I was talking about. I've seen him a couple of times um, in other interactions. I, I, I'm, he knows who I am, which is important, I think. Um, but I don't think, I think it's really hard to get in with Belichick unless you've been doing it for a long, long time. Now, um, I think that that speaks to his, quite frankly, his, his love of sports history and, and just the appreciation for it and appreciation for, for what it, uh, for what the whole thing means. Remember his dad was a super scout for Navy, uh, literally wrote the book on scouting. If you've read it, like he sees himself as part of a long tradition. And that's why I think when he watched the last dance, he's like, yes, this is, this is good. Jordan gets it. I don't necessarily think he would want to do anything like this, even though he would maybe in, in spurts want to do, you know, Maybe three episodes of Belichick, not 10, okay? Hmm. All right. Uh, I have a theory, and I was hoping maybe you could uh, kind of just take it in and then tell me if I'm crazy or if you go, I think this Lefko guy's on to something. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. It's five reasons. Jameis Winston is destined to dominate the next decade and I have five reasons why. Okay. Number one, let's acknowledge that this man was blind. For years, we saw him squinting on the sideline, and we made jokes. You can look back at the fact that his last year at Florida State, he had a batting average of 128. 
but also the fact that he gets LASIK and he comes out and says, I can finally read street signs and license plates. Number one, how is it legal for this man to drive? But number two, he threw 5,000 yards and he couldn't tell the difference between a stop sign and a yield sign. Number two, his age. This man, while it seems like we've watched him forever, is 26 years old. He is younger than Dak, Carson Wentz, and Jimmy G, and he has thrown for more yards than Dak, Carson Wentz, and Jimmy G. Number three, I would say, is consistency, Mr. Kevin Clark. In his five years in the NFL, only two of them had he, did he have the same OC and coach in the year before. And in those two years, his two lowest years in terms of interceptions, his two highest years in terms of quarterback rating, and you know better than anybody, turnover can lead to turnovers. Number four, divine intervention. He is literally, in terms of mascots, moving from sinner to saint. And what do they say is the root of all evil? They say it's money. Well, with incredible humility, he is only getting $1.1 million. This is less than some draft picks. That's number four. But number five, and obviously the most important, is the teachers. Okay? Drew Brees, one of the most accurate quarterbacks of all time. Sean Payton, a better offensive mind than he's ever had. And in my mind, that includes Bruce Arians. But also factor in the universe that when Drew Brees took his first snap for Sean Payton, he was 27 years old. When Jameis finally takes that first snap for Sean Payton, when he's the real starter next season, he'll be 27 years old. And by the way, they're all Capricorns. They're all born around the same time. And I did the math, Kevin Clark. Sean Payton and Drew Brees, the time between their birthdays, 5,497. The time between Drew Brees and Jameis Winston's birthdays, 5,470. It's a difference of 27. The universe loves this. And I need you to understand that Jameis Winston is going to dominate the next decade. And by the way, the sign that they are, Capricorn, you know what the symbol is? It's a goat. It's written in the stars. Jameis Winston is going to dominate the next decade. Am I crazy or does it make any sense? I think Jameis Winston can be better in the next decade. I don't think he's going to dominate. Not with, uh, not with Patrick Mahomes in the league and, and a number of other quarterbacks. Now, true, let's true, unpack true. what you just said. Let's unpack what you just said. First of all, I, Jameis wore glasses off the field at the beginning of his career. And, and we've seen this those is photos. like when there people are like Ben Simmons is a lefty. I was like, how yeah. does like how are you a professional athlete? You can't see. He wore glasses but didn't do it uh, when he was on the field. I don't under, We were robbed of Horace Grant style goggles on the field. That's an iconic look oh, that he wouldn't go with. We were robbed point. of that for five years. Okay, I agree with you about the teachers. This was I had this idea in the beginning of agency that James Winston should should go here. And learn. I, I also had the whether or not you know Chad Henney's still in Kansas City, but maybe James yeah. goes to Kansas City and learns there. But he needed to take a step back because he wasn't going to get a, a primo starting job and learn a new offense and learn all the all, all the, the tricks that Drew Brees and Sean Payton can give him. Drew Brees at the end of his career, he's probably going to be up for teaching both Taysom Hill and him sort of the, the tricks of the trade. I think that Bruce Arians was a really good quarterback teacher. I think the problem is there's just the depth of target on, on his offense is really deep. And if you're an inaccurate quarterback, you're going to throw 30 interceptions. Like that's kind of how it happens. And that's how, one of the reasons. I, we, I know, I know right. that it was like the first thing I said, and, you, and we kind of joked about it a little bit, but like 
maybe the reason Jameis holds the ball too long is because he can't see. Like, yeah. I, I can't well, get over well, the fact that this man can't, couldn't see. It's also a vertical offense. So it could be a, a marriage of those two things where you have to hold on to the ball because it's a deeper But like, Kevin, come on, man. How many times have you heard a quarterback say, I look over, right, and I see the corner sitting on his heels? Yeah. Fuck it, Jameis can't make out any of that stuff. He has – there is no – and it, it's really his game. There's no definition. And, like, I just – look, betting on Jameis Winston is typically one of the worst things you can do. Like, it never – like, I, I stopped betting on the Bucks the last two years because they don't follow any rhyme or reason. No. So, I'm, I'm hoping for it. Um, I just – Oh man, it just doesn't make any sense. I don't think it's gonna. I don't think. I think it could happen that he becomes a the eleventh best quarterback in football. I'd be surprised if he ever breaks into the top ten. You know what I forgot? The story of the fact that his the site of his greatest embarrassment, eating the W pregame, was in New Orleans. That was going to be one of my lines. I was going to say, Jameis is about to actually eat all of the W's. Damn. Killed. Missed it up. See, Kevin, you made me That's nervous, okay. man. It was the Jack. That's number six. There's six reasons. Uh, number six. Um, Kevin, if I asked you to give me an over-under, if you were Vegas, in terms of when the season would start, in your mind, what is the best date to put that marker at? Dude, this I is still wagering. So no no no. So season so starts September tenth, right? Yes, I'd Thursday, say, September tenth. September. I'd say September seventeenth because I think mm-hmm. a one week a one week delay wouldn't be out of the question because training let's say training camp gets off to a, a late start and then Roger Goodell says we need you know safety of the players. There's two types of safety here. There's exactly. obviously coronavirus safety. There's also football player safety, which has been a priority for the NFL. Has been tri- forced as a priority the last couple of years, obviously because they, they, you know, 20 years ago did not really care about player safety. Yeah. Um, but Roger Goodell has put a lot of things in: lack of practice time, all that stuff, uh, or uh, reduced practice time, all that stuff. Um, but I think that they will understand that the coaches need three weeks, four weeks, whatever for a team to get ready. So if we, let's say off season's totally scrapped, June mini camps, totally scrapped, no rookie stuff. Maybe there's a zoom online rookie symposium or whatever, Yeah. but I, I, I don't see them getting together in person before July. So if we get to July and things are still looking bad, I could see them saying, let's just start August 10th or whatever. And then we maybe give them a week buffer. Maybe they get rid of the bye week. Maybe they still have the, the, the Super Bowl in February in Tampa, all that stuff. I think it's going to be – I think it's going to be empty stadiums. Mm. I think it's going to be either no media or extremely reduced media. Um, I don't think – if I were to guess, most of my interviews this year and most of your interviews are going to be right here uh, on yep. Zoom and, and yep. not in person. Um, I think that that's just the reality of the situation. I don't think things are going to, until there's a treatment, um, things are going to rebound in any meaningful way. And so I think that um, it's going to be, it's going to be kind of a, a, a mixture. I, I think the idea that teams are going to play in their home stadiums right now seems unrealistic. I think it's going to be a, a campus type environment and empty stadiums. Now, what I also think is, 
the NFL needs to figure out a way to get that atmosphere going. And my idea, instead of CGI fans, which was brought up in England, just put the CGI fans in, you just put the webcams or Zoom connections in living rooms of just insane fan families. And you cut to them. So it's like the draft. When, you see people like, ah. But they, they, but more, more real, if that makes sense. Like mm. it, when, when, when Devonta Freeman breaks an 80-yard touchdown, I need to see a family in the corner just losing their minds. Mm. And that's how you get some semblance of the atmosphere. Oh, so you're talking about you need it for your broadcast enjoyment at home. Yes. Because I'm in my – in the corner. Oh, that's, okay. That's what we need. Is we need like fifty fans, fifty groups of fans. See, what's Couples. very funny to me is like certain broadcasts care about the fans more. Like a Fox broadcast, they love the zoom in slow mo shot of a fan getting upset. But like NBC, they're like, we're going to focus on the field. I thought you meant more of. How the hell are these adult men going to destroy themselves against each other when all you hear is a hit and then silence? Because at least when there's an applause and there's a big hit, it's like, you know, it's like, whoa, I, I, can you imagine scoring a touchdown and going? They have to pump each other up. It's amazing. It's going to be amazing. They have to give it's going to be a support system that's internal because they can't get it from, they can't get external validation. Now, a couple things. Number one, people are going to realize how hard those hits are, man. Like, because I think sometimes right. like a rank and file hit, I think people don't understand how loud that can be. There are a couple of games, Barcelona a couple of years ago played an empty uh, stadium game and they, they were able to mic it up because they had cameras on the field. And it was really fascinating to watch. Like the amount of communication, the amount of back, like casual back and forth between players, which you know about and I know about, but I don't, I don't think the regular fan knows about just how much they talk about – I mean, defenders and receivers talk about routes. They talk about all this stuff. I mean, it's just like a, a co-worker conversation at some point. I never thought about in terms of, okay, so let's say you're broadcasting because I know that certain MLB networks are sending broadcasting boxes to broadcasters' homes because yes. they're thinking, look, is it even worth flying yeah. – I'm just saying Al Michaels around the country, blah, blah. You could do it from home. Well, then as a broadcaster, you almost have to ask yourself, okay, I'm going to be the narrator of this sporting event. I'm going to take you in and out of commercials. We're going to get it. But also, do you just shut up? Because now, instead of letting the crowd go, I get to hear all the cadence. I can hear the linebacker. I can hear you know uh, Thomas Davis calling out the quarterback. Do you lay out more? It's going to the, – the experience of what we're watching, it's going to feel almost voyeuristic. I would think. And I 100% agree with you. And I also think that the reaction from the benches is going to be more fun, more animated, and they're going to have to rely on that uh, along with my proposed fan cam idea. But I think that that reaction, you know, when the World Series, when there's a huge World Series home run, the, they show the fans or whatever, but the most fun reaction is the dugout shot. You know, just the guys going crazy in the dugout and, and, and all that. I think that's yeah. what they're going to need to lean on from a broadcast standpoint. I think this can be done to make it entertaining. I think that it's funny because we're it, – it is because we're in media, that's our our domain is figuring out how we can make this entertaining. 
But if they can get 99% of the way there, which is figure out how to make a safe campus and have football games, then they can figure out the, right. the last 1%, which is make it fun. I, I was thinking about what our conversation earlier about the last dance, and I was thinking about how we we build up some young athletes as completely infallible, and then it mm-hmm. reaches a point where people get sick of it. And I think in the NFL, J.J. Watt was a great example of that, that after a while it was like, this is too perfect. Um, but it made me concerned right now for my guy, Pat, because if you think about Mahomes mm. and how he started – uh, there really aren't any blemishes right now. And I never, you know, some guys you look at and they go, oh, there's no issues. Just seeing them on camera makes people happy. And it made me actually worry that we're going to do that to him. Do you think that could happen? So I think that in order to not become overexposed, your accomplishments have to be in line with your reputation, right? And so as long as Patrick Mahomes keeps playing like Patrick Mahomes, there's no problem. Michael Jordan was not overexposed because every time he played basketball, he went out and won a championship starting in 1992. Okay. He won six straight championships when he played a full season. Okay. He did lose to Orlando Magic. I wouldn't worry about it. But, um, but I think that there's, I think the, 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 the more realistic option for Mahomes is he keeps playing like Mahomes and his fame is in line with his reputation. I think the problem with Watt, quite frankly, is he started to battle injuries. He wasn't getting 20 sacks a year anymore. And then he just becomes, in some years, more famous for being on the right. sideline of a playoff yeah. game. Remember that game where he was hurt and he, he they kept showing him over and over again on the yes. sidelines? Like, that is the kind of thing that turns people off. It's like, well, man, you haven't, you know. And that's not J.J. Watt's fault. That's it's so hard. Yeah, it's, it's so hard in football because fault. it takes you three or four years to be known. And in the NFL yeah. world, that's half your career. NBA, it's like you still got 12 more years left. Um, right. With, with that in mind, was there – because I was thinking about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and I was thinking about yeah. like, man, that, that's just one of those picks where you look at the team and go, that's exciting. Were there any other picks that are jumping in your mind right now that you – like for me, I was texting with Mina about this. I am Cam Akers to the Rams is something that people like really aren't talking about at all. And I'm like, hey guys, they got rid of Todd Gurley and they brought this guy in and no one's talking about it. Like he's an exciting player. I was just curious if there's any that haven't caught your attention. Yeah. So I would say starting with, I actually liked, and I know it's chalky to say because it's the first overall pick. I liked what the Bengals did in a sense that getting T Higgins, one of the things about Joe Burrow was his vision is and something Daniel Jeremiah said, his vision is a superpower, right? Right. And getting five guys out or four guys out into the route and winning mismatches or T. Higgins has an incredible catch radius. He has the ability to just go up and get passes. You put him in a route, put him out in a route with AJ Green exactly. also on the field. I think you I think you got something there earlier than maybe we think. I think it, because the Bengals were so bad last year, we think they're they're a long way away. But you pair T. Higgins with A.J. Green on the other side of the ball, Logan Wilson, who a lot of people think might have been one of the best picks in the draft at linebacker. Um, I think there's something there with the Bengals. I don't think they're going to be a contender this year. I think the AFC North is just too good. But I think that they've got a real capability to be very interesting this year. I think the Chargers, they like in terms of how they did in one-score games last year and how awful it was and 
how many of those late picks by Phillip Rivers, but you just don't know what you're going to get out of the quarterback position. That defense is so loaded. Um, the the I Green think Herbert Bay, was a step back. I think Herbert was a step back. I think they should have gone in on this year with that pick. So you're thinking if you had Tyrod, do you go – they went Murray later, so technically you didn't have to take Simmons. Who would you have gone then? One of the tackles? I actually didn't love, I didn't love the Murray pick. I would have rather had Patrick Queen than Murray. I think that they kind mm-hmm. of took a step back in this draft, a little tiny bit. I still like – I like Tom Telesco. I like the Chargers as a franchise. Sure. I think they've done a really nice job drafting. Um, and when I say franchise, I mean the actual football side of it because yeah. they obviously played in a soccer stadium and have no fans. But um, from, from the football side of it, I liked what they were doing. I just think that this year it, it could have been a little bit better. I think, yeah, one of the – I think that, that Simmons would have been incredible, quite frankly. And I think that you could have – I don't think Murray is a, is a Simmons replacement. I think that they already had – Also, Derwin if James. you have Simmons and, and Derwin James, Derwin James yeah. you, you might be the one team in the NFL that can handle the Chiefs without really having to do a lot of substitutions, and you play them twice a year. That would have like Travis Kelsey. Hey, what we have two guys that can defend Travis Kelsey. That's crazy. Yep, and we already saw. Remember when they played Lamar a couple of years ago? Their ability to go with basically an all defensive back defense. Mm. They, we already saw they have flexibility. We already saw they would know how to use it. They went to New England the next week and got, you know, put in a garbage can. But uh, with that defense, but I think that generally we've seen their ability to have an open mind. They would have used Simmons really, really well. Uh, I'm a little bit scared that Simmons is going to play straight up linebacker in Arizona. I don't know how that's going to go. Hopefully they, they move him around. They, but, it hasn't worked. I mean, they've had some success, but also they've had Dayon Buchanan and a bunch yeah. of other guys. They've, Hassan Reddick, they've tried this with. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I would have loved – I think Herbert is not a good pick for 2020. On the other hand, I'm thinking about this, right? So they're supposed to be opening up a new stadium. They need to sell a bunch of tickets. But it doesn't matter this year. Like, they may not have to sell tickets this year. Mm. They may not be opening there. Like, I'm thinking flashy. Like, they should have gone out and did everything they could to get Tom Brady, whatever, right? I obviously, Brady wasn't going to choose them because he wanted to stay on the East Coast. But I think for the last year, I've been thinking about how can the Chargers sell tickets? And now I'm thinking the Chargers don't actually have to sell tickets. It doesn't matter. They get to delay Just zoom that. links. So, zoom if, links. Herbert, if, if, if Herbert is the 2021 quarterback and he works out, maybe, maybe it's better. But I'm thinking from a 2020 perspective, that they could have been really good, and I don't necessarily know if they did that. It, it is – it's wild when you think there, – there are so many teams that are like, we need to fill for need or draft for need, and then there's other ones yeah. that just take better players all the time. And I – you know, I look at a Saints team that takes like a Ruiz at center, and they in the second round they come back and they take like a Zach Bond. And I, I, it's so easy – or the Ravens to just notch it up to some teams are smarter than other teams – but I guess sometimes it really is that. But I know that you think Howie is smart. And I'm curious if you still think he's smart. I do think that Howie is smart. So I would say that this is the Packers conundrum and this is the Eagles conundrum. Is everybody says they want best player available. Every coach and GM say we do best player available. And then when you take best player available, everybody gets really pissed off. And best player available by your board, not everybody else's board, not Mel Kuyper's board, not, not Daniel Jeremiah's board. The Packers and the Eagles both did that. They thought J- the Eagles thought that Jalen Hurts was, was a good value pick in the second round. They took him. The Packers said Jordan Love is good. We're going to take him, and then we're going to take 
AJ Dillon. We're going to take some tight ends because we trust our board, right? And so everybody wants to say best player available, and nobody wants to do it. It reminds me a little bit, I've, I've talked about this often, Paul DePodesta said something about analytics about five years ago that just changed my viewpoint and everything. He says, every owner says, I want to do analytics in the same way a child says, I want to be on a roller coaster. And when you get to the scary parts, and you always get to the mm. scary parts with analytics, so the most important thing is the owner does not do what a child does, which is say, I want to get off the roller coaster right now. They have to say, we're going to go through the entire roller coaster because analytics is scary. Best player available is scary. And it, yes, it pisses off players, or excuse me, it pisses off um, fans all the time. Right. It probably pisses off some players. In Aaron Rodgers' case, definitely. But I'm just saying, if you're really playing the long game, this is what it looks like. Could the Packers have had a better draft? Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think that their draft was actually very good. I'm just saying, when you live by that philosophy, you die by that philosophy. I think Howie understands. If, if Howie, and, and this is something you and I were texting about last week, if Howie and Press Taylor and Doug Peterson can put two quarterbacks on the field at a time and change the way yes. – Football is played at least temporarily, almost in the same way the Wildcats. Have did you heard people say this before? Is yeah. this like because I've my heard thing the is say it. okay? So my question for you is, you know how like you hear stories about like you go to like a, a bar near a port and there's an old sailor. Oh, there's a story of the Loch Ness monster. Yeah. I feel like that's the two quarterback offense. I feel like it's the Moby Dick of the NFL. Well, so Mike Tannenbaum was on my podcast a couple weeks ago, and his idea was that the Ravens take Jalen Hurts. That's, that's, that's where you break football. Could you imagine two guys who can throw, two guys uh, – whatever. I, I can't even think about it. Yeah. Now, the Eagles. I, I, I have heard – Press Taylor said that a couple years ago, that that's the next wave. I've heard that before. I think that it's – there's a lot of um, – there's a lot of hesitation because it's it's when you have a quarterback. I, I actually applaud the boldness of the Eagles, just in the sense that the whole belief around the NFL is once you've got a guy tied into this mega contract, or you took him with the first first round pick, and in the Eagles' case, second second overall, um, that that's the guy. No more questions asked. Can't just go all in on him. And to say not only are we are we we're going to maintain our all in stance by giving Carson Wentz a bunch of money but we're also going to leave open the possibility that we change football. That's kind of right. a forward-thinking thing. Jeffrey Lurie told me two years ago that he, his hope and that the Eagles franchise philosophy is you try to have a top-10 quarterback as their second quarterback all the time. Okay? Every, mm -hmm. that, that's what they want, and that's, that's obviously started with Andy Reid, who was drafting quarterbacks even when they had Donovan McNabb, um, and trying to, you know, going back to – where he, Andy Reid was in Green Bay, you think about all the backups for Brett Favre, Mark oh, Cornell, uh, Matt Hasselbeck. Kurt they were, Warner. They were Kurt Warner. They were a quarterback factory. That's what the Eagles want to do. Um, they want to do the two-quarterback thing, as Charles Robinson said, uh, Taysom Hill on steroids. I, I applaud the strategy. That's the Sounds like you don't. No, I'm all in. Uh, okay. I'm a, I'm such a sucker. I I always question it, and then I because what happens is is I think about what their intents are, and when yeah. I see what their intent is, um, I completely understand it. And it's I also think it's one of the few situations in the NFL where the patience would be allowed, because Jeffrey Lurie is one of the few owners that has shown no matter what the situation, 
he ends up making the right decision whether it was uh, part of the way he handled uh, back when there was racial strife or the Colin Kaepernick kneeling. They were one of the most yeah. forward-thinking teams in the NFL. Um, the fact that, look, it, it meant a lot. I had McCown on the pod, and he was in that quarterback room last year. And I said straight up, tell me about Press Taylor, because all I hear is he's a one-play wonder. Like, it, I, all anyone tells me is that one play. And his eyes lit up, and he goes, he's sharp. He's prepared. Yeah. And this is a man that's been in 18 years. He's been in every quarterback room. And for the eyes to get wide and for him to say that, I was like, you know what? If they're going to go for it, I am not going to be the guy left out being like, bah, humbug, the process isn't going to work. Yeah. I mean, this is the same city that went through the process. Here's my viewpoint on rebuild. This is how you retool and rebuild in the NFL, is you keep one eye on the future, 25 to 30% of the future, and replenish the stock all the time, okay? Going all in with a core doesn't really work in football because they age and, and injuries mm -hmm. make sure careers are short and contracts are short, and the windows in which guys are values are short because of, of for a million different reasons. And so playing the long game is the way to go. You, It is really hard to tear down and rebuild in this league. Not a lot of teams have done it. Strangely enough, Buffalo did it. Uh, we were never. We were talking about the Browns and Sashi Brown the whole time, and it turns out Brandon Bean was tearing down and rebuilding in two years, and nobody cared. Okay, now yeah. they care because Buffalo is really good. But you know, I wrote this last week. But John Dorsey, in 2018, we're sitting down, and he says it takes three years to do a full rebuild in the NFL. John Dorsey was fired after two years. Okay, mm -hmm. so he didn't even get that third year. And so I think that, I think that. You avoid that sort of thing where in three years you have to say we have to tear the whole thing down. You have to operate like the Packers and the Eagles are right now. Yeah, I think like I, I get excited about teams like the Cardinals right now. You know, I get excited about these teams, you know, like the Niners were last year, the bounce back teams. Um, the Colts are going to be so much fun to watch this year. Uh, in the end, though, who do you think wins the AFC East? The Buffalo Bills are thriving. The Miami Dolphins have done a complete makeover now centered around Tua. The Patriots have Jared Stidham at the helm, and it's still, in my mind, the greatest coach that's ever lived, Bill Belichick. And you also have the New York Jets, who won six of their last eight games. And Sam Darnold is finally going to be in a system two years in a row. And they've invested a lot in the O-line. They got him weapons. And they get C.J. Mosley back. And people forget he – like, it's a very – who do you think comes out? Okay, so I had some of the PFF guys on our pod last week, and they were talking about the, about the Dolphins. I love the Dolphins. I love yes. the Dolphins. I think that this process has been sound. But when I was there in December, and it, it, it seems like the kind of teardown that doesn't take two years, okay? Yeah, like, that offensive line the, the, is not going to be ready. Well, I'm right. they get they get Eric Flowers, they get a couple of these guys. Um, to, you answered, to, you to just answered process. it. Yeah, no, right, exactly. The number and one so, confidence in the Dolphins is Eric Flowers. Offensive line. No, I mean, they, yeah. Byron Jones was a great pickup, and I think of that they did for, for a number of years, and that's very Belichickian to have Xavier Howard and Byron Jones start building building from the cornerback yes. position, position up. Now, I'm down there in December, and I'm talking to some of their linebackers, and they're saying we would look over – at the guy who was on the, the third linebacker on the field, we have no idea who he was. You know, we have, it was like, I don't know who this person is. Okay. They made more transactions than any team in the history of the sport. They took the biggest dead cap charge in the history of the sport. Okay. Mm. They 
it is going to be a sound rebuild that is going to pay dividends, but I don't think that's for 2020. Okay. Agreed. The Jets, I, I just can't buy Adam Gase enough to, to say he's going to beat Bill Belichick. I love the Bills. I love the Bills as a, as a roster. I love the Bills. I think they, they have, if you take away, you know, one of the PFF guys said this, I thought, if you weigh every single position equally, they might have the best roster in football. But the problem is that one position, which is the quarterback position, is mm. a question mark, okay? And so I have a hard time betting against Bill Belichick's competence until I've seen it. I, mm. I need to see him fail before I pick him to fail. I'm going to pick I, – I think they win 11 games. I think the Bills are in that zone. Maybe they win 10. I, I have to pick the Patriots so. What's so wild is, too, the Bills were so good against the Patriots last year. The first game they lost, Josh has, like, his worst half of the whole season, then gets hurt, and Matt Barkley has to come in. Um, What's so interesting, too, about the Jets is, you know, all those games they lost in the beginning, Sam missed a lot of them with Mono. But also, like, the hardest – it's two years in a row now where Sam is playing and there's nothing on the line. And who they're yeah. playing at the end of the year is, you know, the Bengals and the Raiders and Washington and the Giants. And I think we, we look at the streaks at the end of the year and they go, oh, look what they can be. For me, I think it is Buffalo or bust. And I am I think that a lot of the media is, is a, a little bit too much down on Josh Allen. And then there's some people that are the old guard that love big, strong arms that are a little bit too high on him. And I think that the best thing that could have happened to his career was what happened in the playoffs, which was he made a mistake that was 100% doing more than he needed to do, which was running and then that fumble. It was the epitome of that, which is, in my mind, the ultimate issue that everyone has with his game, is that if he really does play the way that the Eagles want to use Jalen Hurts or the way that, like, in terms of you're going to run the ball a lot, our defense is phenomenal, and you're, we're going to take four or five shots every game and we need you to hit two. And don't do too much. If he can learn that because, like you said, Bean built that franchise from top to bottom so well, I think it can execute, especially now with Singletary and that Zach Moss, like – it, and digs. It's just built in a way where it, it can be if he doesn't try and do too much. And that's why, oddly enough, I'm happy that he fumbled that way because he'll be watching that and learning that lesson all summer long. Yeah, and I think that there's a process. You know, one of my colleagues, Robert Mays, went went to Buffalo last year and talked to him about this, and he basically said that there were some some holes in his development. I guess you could say where he's from an area of the country where they didn't, you know, pass the ball 10,000 times when they were right. a kid, like you would get in Texas or Florida or California with the seven on seven stuff. He wasn't playing year round. And there were the developmental curve is a little bit different for him. And he's getting better on the fly. How much better you can get right. once you get to the NFL is a, is a question that I think is still up in the air. I remember someone saying this one time, it was Deontay Wilder's trainer. He said that you can only improve punching power by 10%. doesn't matter what you do. You know, if you either got it or you don't, but you can improve it 10%, that's it, right? And that's what they say and, about accuracy. Right. And I think that when you think about getting better at the NFL level, Matt Ryan is the patron saint of having some accuracy issues in college and not having them in the pros. But I think that there's a real question mark. Now, 
Is it, you know, Ryan Tannehill is a good example of someone. He was a receiver in college at, at some point. Um, he didn't have the same sort of development, even though obviously he's from Texas. So we had the seven on seven stuff and, yes. and that kind of thing. He had, he did have that, but he didn't play quarterback full time in college. And it, maybe it took it. Maybe that's one of the reasons it took him a little bit aside from the uh, combined with the injuries in Miami took him a little bit to sort of pop at the NFL level. I think that there's how quarterbacks develop is one of the most fascinating things um, in, in, in sports to me. And I think that there's, I think Josh Allen is a really interesting test case. Kevin, I appreciate your ability to get ready faster than a Navy SEAL. I appreciate your ability to talk about anything in the NFL. And I always appreciate your willingness to wear a hell of a jacket. You're the man, dude. Thank you, Ray. I appreciate Anytime, it. Anytime, man. Appreciate you, bro. buddy. Homies, we love you. Holla, holla, holla. We're going to check you out later. <laughs>